Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, we visit with New York Times bestselling author Jill McCorkle, author of Hieroglyphics, a heartfelt and intricate tale that weaves together the lives of four characters, Frank and Lil, a married couple who came together from the shared grief of losing a parent, Shelley, a single mother raising her son in Frank's former home, and Harvey, Shelley's young son. Hieroglyphics is a raw and meditative story of love, pain, and redemption with a deep understanding of resilience and family bonds. And a starred review publishers weekly had this to say about the book. Engrossing, McCorkle finds an elegant mix of wistfulness and appreciation for life. Throughout, McCorkle weaves a powerful narrative web with empathy for her characters and keen insight on their motivations. This is a gem. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlotteroospodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Jill, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. Now, what is this? This is number 10, maybe? I'm looking at your uh, list here. You've got about uh, five or six novels and four collections of short stories. Is it that is actually the 11th. This is okay. my seventh novel. Seventh novel. Well, okay. For our listeners, a little bit about you. New York Times bestseller uh, for Life After Life. You've appeared several times in Best American Short Stories, uh, New York Times notable, notable Books for five of your books, uh, and the list goes on and on, and, and the list you just mentioned. And I think... Um, it was the New York Times called you, this is when your first two novels came out when you were just out of college, a born novelist, which actually created a couple of questions for me. <laughs> I thought, do, do, do you always feel that way that you were born to write, Jill? 
I have always written as long as I can remember. I, I don't know that I thought I was I was born to do it any more than I was born to roller skate. Um, you know, as a kid, it was really self self amusement and something I just I love to do. And I, I guess I spent a lot of years not knowing it was something you could seriously grow up to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the time, most of the writers I I had heard of were also dead. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, we we tend to study them more, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Not what uh, you aspire to as an eight year old, but um, exactly. And and I assume just like anything, you grow into, you're born with something. You go through your your teenage novelist years, your growing pains along the way. Um, and uh, but I guess, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, listeners, on our Patreon channel because I'm going to do a deeper dive with uh, Jill uh, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that when we get through about her writing and her writing life. But, but Jill, you went, when you went to college, you sort of had in mind that you were going to be a writer, didn't you? Well, I, I knew that I always wanted to write. I, I actually, um, in my freshman year, I thought I was headed more into some kind of field in education. Um, you know, um, it all it all sort of morphed towards the writing once I actually started taking the classes. Yeah, I understand you had a good creative writing instructor who kind of got you interested in moving forward in that direction. Um, and I guess over the years, you know, you've written in in different forms. Uh, you've written the novels, the short stories. You've you've written in different styles within those different uh, forms. Which kind of gets to my question here. We're going to start off with on hieroglyphics. Uh, the form or the style that you chose, uh, you've got, you know, four different points of view with four different characters. We're going to talk about those characters on the show here today, but uh, just on the form itself, you chose third person for most of the characters, but you chose first person for one character, but kind of told through letters and notes and and that kind of thing. And and somewhat retrospective, I'd like to just comment on the the style that you chose for this uh, for this book and why you chose it. Yes. Um... Well, four four different voices, um, people at very different places in life. Even though two of the characters um, are in their eighties, married, Frank and Lil, she's the first person character going back through her life, looking over journals and notes, and uh, in a lot of ways, she's revising or editing her life. She's also deciding what she does and does not want to pass on to her children. But I think the novel is a lot about what what stands to get lost along the way of our stories and what can be known of our lives. So, you know, Lil is somebody who's just ready to look at it all, understand it all, make those decisions. Her husband, Frank, is somebody, on the other hand, who has really compartmentalized life. And so he only now, you know, in the home stretch, is willing to go back and sort of open a lot of those jars and think about various times in his life, um, especially those that are painful. And then the young mother, Shelley, right in the middle of life, um, 
at loose ends, you know, she's somebody in the thick of one of those difficult times that Frank and Lil now have the distance to look back on with some perspective. Um, Shelly has very little perspective. <laughs> she's just completely mired in not only running from her past, but a very difficult present situation. And, yeah, and just and just to interject about her for a minute, she's a court reporter, which attracted me because I'm a recovering trial lawyer. But you you have her do it in shorthand, don't she? That's she's not using the stena mask because she's afraid to put on the the mask because of I don't know the, the phobia she has about the mask. She called it Silence of the Lambs or something. I think I read. <laughs> but, but 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 you get her in trouble because she is so uh, focused on different things that she starts recording her her grocery list and sort of writing her own story about what's going on in the court while she's supposed to be taking down what's going on in court. Exactly. <laughs> she, um, she, she, she was a fun, a fun character to write, but um, yeah, I mean, so she's, she's very much in the present moment and, and lost in many ways. And, and then her son Harvey, you know, is just, just beginning the journey. I mean, it's all in front of him. So where Frank and Lil are, um, you know, 90% memory, 10% present, Harvey is the other end of that spectrum. So I had all that in mind, but no, no earthly idea how they were all going to fit together or, or, you know, if, I didn't know for sure if I was going to use first person across the board or third, but, um, you know, I, I love working in third person, uh, but Lil's voice, given what she was doing, just naturally pulled back to first. And and I just decided not to even try to lace it together with third. Yeah. And, and I mentioned in some respects, it's retrospective. You're looking it's almost like you're telling some of these stories in reverse. And and for her, it's like she's pulling, Lil's pulling things out of a box and she's reading. And you, so you'll get these different fragments over time. Was that challenging to put together? I, I admit that I was challenged a couple of times reading it, try, trying to, you know, but then I would stop and look at it and, and then think, it made me think harder as I'm reading it about that particular character, because it's just something I wasn't used to seeing. From a writer's perspective, was it hard to do that? And make sure that it had this through point. It really it it was, and and a lot of her sections were written at one stretch and then chopped up. Um, but but what I enjoyed doing with her, and the reason the reason I chose to have it come in in little pieces uh, rather than all woven together with this older voice, is I wanted. I wanted the sensation of the younger person with no sense of the future, mm. you know, which is what a journal or a letter allows. Um, we go right into what is the present moment when that piece is being written. So that was a little challenging after, especially if I had been in older Lil voice for a while um, to then get in this sort of, you know, hopeful woman in the, you know, I don't know, 70s, 80s, um, with very different things in life going on. So exactly, because um, I was sitting there, because I'm reading her, and then all of a sudden, she's flashing back to a little, uh, a little, uh, 
disappointment. She has about her husband's wandering eye a little bit, you know, at, at some point, and, and there's this little conflict, but then she talks about how she repairs it. Well, anyway, the themes of this book, uh, Jill, you've got loss, uh, you've got what parents leave behind. Aging is a big theme, you know, in this book. Uh, you deal, of course, with Shelley, the single mother, the trauma and the abuse, but given those things that fit together, the aging and, uh, you know, people looking back on their lives, was writing this book sort of a companion for you to your own thoughts about these same topics? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that that there's always some kind of personal aspect in a, in a writing project. I mean, uh, otherwise, I, I don't think I would feel compelled to be there. Um, I, I had already started working on parts of this novel um, before my mother's dementia. Uh, as, as I had the previous novel, Life After Life, but but certainly anticipating those we love getting older and um, households changing. Um, it, you know, it, it's on your mind. It's, it's part of adulthood. My dad died quite young, um, a, around my age now. And so I think ever since... Um, that happened. Yeah, I I feel I've been really tuned in to that um, awareness of mm. the passing of time, and and when a child steps up into the role of caretaker. Um, so I'm I'm interested in it, and so there is there's that aspect of it for sure that's personal, and then. You know, I told somebody recently, um, my whole thing, I heard somebody say there two the the real two kinds of people are the people who say there are two kinds of people and those who don't. But my two kinds of people are those who outgrew fifth grade humor and those of us who did not. And um so, you know, being able to indulge a child character for me is always fun because I really think um, wholeheartedly, I believe that if we ever forget what it feels like to be a kid, um, we've, we've just forgotten how it is to feel period. You know, I think that's, that's the main taproot and, and so much comes back to those earliest memories. And so um you know, I I think I I naturally brought a lot to Harvey, um, not in the same light, but but of my own childhood memories. Yeah, there's a funny little uh, quote that Shelley has when she's made the mistake in the courtroom I mentioned earlier, where she says, "Of course, she made a mistake. She's human, after all. She's just a human, a human being, b e a n, as <laughs> Harvey as Harvey always says." A human being. So I like the the way you inject the humor. And then also I was picking up on little things as I read it. You know, there was the penny that you put on the railroad tracks to have the train come by and flatten it. That was something we used to go out in the country and do, put the penny out there. Um, but yeah, so you took on these different, um, you know, different points in life, different perspectives, different points of view. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, many of these questions that are raised in the book, 
kind of appear to be designed to get the reader to think, I think, about their own parents, their own legacies, maybe their own losses. And you don't always answer the questions, Jill. Now, come on, you know, you're not always answering these questions, but you are getting us to think, right? Thoughts, thoughts about that? Um, well, you know, all along, I knew I wanted to write a novel about what what does get lost along the way. Those those things we mean to say and do and don't. Uh, because I think we're shaped by those things as much as the things that, that actually did happen, mm. if that yeah. makes sense. But that's not the kind of idea you're going to write your editor and say, here's an idea for a novel. Right, um, exactly. But, but that was very much on my mind. And, and, and one of the earliest um, real concrete ideas behind this novel were the two real historical events that are in the memories of Lil and Frank. Um, she lost her mother in the Coconut Grove nightclub fire in 42, and, and he lost his father on the um, horrific train crash that happened in North Carolina in my native county in 43. And, and you read about both events and, you know, all the lives lost and you come down to these catalog list of how they were identified, you know, the most intimate thing, a particular kind of button or a shoe or a scrap of paper that was in a wallet. And, um, you know, it's just, there's nothing more intimate than that, those little bits and traces that that we take for granted, and and then with the passage of time, uh, become these precious objects because they stand for someone or a particular time. There too, a very abstract kind of idea, not the makings of a novel. So. Um, in the early stages, many of the pieces of this novel were more little strands of memory and physical description, um, some of which I had just had for a long time, you know, in that sort of junk box of stored images or thoughts. Um, yeah, both of, the, both of those events uh, play an important role in the novel. Um Frank's father dies in a train accident that uh, happened, I believe, in 1943 that you said was real. Mm -hmm. And he was on his way home with his mother um, to see them. And then, of course, Lil's mother, you mentioned, in the fire. And so both of them are reflecting upon what they missed out in life, you know, with their parents. And there's a lot of nostalgia here. Let's come back to that and come back to the uh, title itself, Hieroglyphics. But first, let's have a little reading. I, we, we got a little section here of the book, early in the book with Frank, and uh, it, it kind of, uh, I think it's a little bit self-explanatory, but it's it's sort of at the part of the book where you find out that they're coming back to a place that's uh, his childhood home. And uh, anything else you want to say about it before you read it? Before they were even old enough to worry about losing their memories, Lil had quizzed Frank about their special word. Do you remember? She would ask leaning in close for him to whisper in her ear and prove it 
like he was some kind of imbecile or hadn't taken that long ago conversation seriously. Of course I remember he had told her. I thought of it. Do you remember that? Do you remember where we were? Of course I do. By the time they had packed up their lives and started driving to North Carolina, she said only, do you? And he said, yes. How do you know what I'm going to say, she asked, because I know you. But then she asked something, other questions, silly things that made them both laugh. Did he remember the name of the man who used to pump their septic tank all the while whistling show tunes in rhythm with the grinding machinery of his pump? Did he remember what went in the recipe for those grasshoppers he made on St. Patrick's Day a hundred years ago? Creme de menthe, and then what? Did he remember her phone number from when they first met? The whole car ride was filled with such questions, and it was a good way not to feel the sadness they both were feeling, miles falling behind them like all the years they'd lived there. Retirement has not been all that others told him it would. They had said he would love not reading student papers or typing a syllabus, but that wasn't true. He had missed it, and now even a decade after the fact, he still does. He misses the schedule and the order of it all, the year neatly divided into terms, pauses for the holidays and summers, those chunks of time all the sweeter because there was an end in sight and he had to cram all that he could into those isolated weeks or summer months. He'd loved having a topic in mind, an idea, and then setting about researching and reading. It was peaceful down in the library stacks, the smell of old paper and glue. Do you? Yes. Do you remember when you looked pale as a vampire because you practically lived in that tomb of a library? It's been hard to get anything new started lately. An idea for a paper or article, though he still keeps up with all the readings or tries to, all the discoveries he would have sent students to the library to explore. As a younger man, he would have wanted to build a vacation around it. The Egyptian boat carvings in the ancient city Abydos, dating back over 3,800 years, or the pyramids found within a pyramid in Mexico, the mosaic of Noah's Ark in Israel, or the one he feels most drawn to these days, the lost city of Neapolis submerged off the coast of Tunisia since the 4th century AD. Can't you find something old to excite you in Hawaii or Antigua? Lee had asked, Lil had asked after saying she did not want another hot, sandy vacation unless there was a great big ocean and good seafood within walking distance. And what about Cape Ann? Plenty of old things there. They always said they would go to Paris, and Lil was quick to add that they also needed a return trip to Florence. But now Frank's main focus is on exploring the place he'd lived as a boy, the house, the yard, that old root cellar his stepfather dug out near where he had his garden. Just go knock on the door, Lil had said the first time they rode by. They had barely moved and she insisted they go see it, that he bring the photograph of himself with his mother taken in the front yard. They'll let you in, she said. 
but so far that hasn't happened. <laughs> That's nice. Um, and, and for the listeners, uh, the house that he's knocking on, the door that he's knocking on to the house is where where Shelly lives with Harvey. And so that's how they all kind of become interconnected here uh, in this story. And she sees him kind of as a crazed old man who's coming back to, 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 to bother her and her son. And she doesn't really want to have too much to do with him, but he's really focused on. And I think that is a thing. I mean, I, you know, people who grew up in their houses uh, might want to go back and look, others might want to just keep that memory inside their head. I don't know. How do you feel about that, Jill? Do you, you know, because it, your, your old house has probably changed a lot. Yeah, but I I am one of those people um, drawn back. You know, I, I've always loved Capote's opening to uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's because it, it opens. I've, I've always been drawn back to places where I've lived. Um, and and I am, I'm someone who loves to, you know, ride by and notice, notice the difference. And they're really there are always those things that you remember exactly. And those things that you've, you know, your mind has reshaped it into something that's not. Well, let's talk about the title of it. You had mentioned in this reading or Frank had or Lil had Egyptian boats, carvings and pyramids. And we've got a title here for your book, hieroglyphics. Uh, So it's, uh, you know, an Egyptian, you know, thing i mean i looked it up i didn't know it's a greek word hiero means holy and glyphics means marks or writings so the word could mean holy writings did you have that in mind when you came up with this title or tell us a little bit about your thoughts yeah i i did i i had in mind all all the little um you know things we we write things we uh, especially i was thinking about things we take for granted, you know, just little notes or lists. Um, again, things that that easily get lost along the way, or if they survived, might be hard for someone to decipher. You know, what does this even mean? This, the same way that, that we have had, you know, people studying hieroglyphics or cave art trying to determine... Um, what it what it means or what were the circumstances that prompted it and then the more the more I wrote the more I realized that um for me it was it was more than just the scraps of of written work it it incorporated as I mentioned those those words that don't get said it it um incorporated the objects that surround us, objects that stand for something, sort of the hidden message, the hidden clue. So so there's a lot in here, um, you know, decoder rings and um, the whole notion of secret messages or um, words and the way words get used or um, link us together, which I, I do think language does. And, and speaking of words, you, you put a uh, a word in here for a for a phone that I got from my dad when he in his later years when called the jitterbug, <laughs> and and, and, and Frank Frank didn't like the jitterbug too much. He said uh, it, it was an oversized phone, and he said to Lil, "Absolutely not. I'd rather die on the tracks than use that dang thing," <laughs> because Frank was the kind of guy who thought of an iPhone as just a phone, and a computer as just a typewriter, right? Yes. 
Yeah, my dad lost a jitterbug, I think, in the first week I gave it to him. But then we we got him another one. He was good to go. He didn't have a complaint about it. Let me ask you a question about uh, about Lil here. Um, in a letter toward the end of her life, it's not necessarily toward the end of the book, but one of her letters, she says, we are all haunted by something, something we did or didn't do. And the passing years either add to the weight or diminish it. Mine has been diminished, perhaps because I spent time thinking about it all. That's interesting to me. I'm wondering about your perspective on that, because a lot of times people carry these weights in life and they have a hard time forgiving themselves about uh, the things that uh, they did or didn't do that they wish they had or the things they said they wish they hadn't said. Lil is saying the more she thinks about it, the more diminished it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a believer in coming to terms with things. Um, I think I shared that with her. I mean, I, I, I do believe that, um, you know, that you can't, that there's so many things you can't go back and, and make it right. I mean, you know, we could all look back on yesterday and think of the many ways we would do it differently, you know? So, so, I mean, I think, I think the goal is, you know, what did you learn from it and how do you apply it to tomorrow (laughs) instead of staying there? And, and that's, that's where Lil is, but, but also with that, um, not hiding from it, you know, not putting it in a jar and on a shelf to, surprise you later as I think Frank has done I mean I think Frank is so compartmentalized and Shelly oh my god I mean Shelly has just you know barred the door and bricked it up several times to keep her past from reaching her but but I think we all know that um that's likely a plan that rarely worked Mm. Yeah, and and I think one thing that Lil does, and and this I know from talking to writers and my own experiences when I write, by writing about it, she's helping work through it as well. And uh, I don't know if that's true for you, but uh, a lot of times I've talked to other writers, myself included, when I write about something, it helps me kind of figure out and move past some of those things. Oh, definitely. I mean, I I and and I think language just helps us shape clarity and um and you know it's it's a constant exercise and practice like I'm a big believer in that thing if I'd had more time I would have written a shorter letter you know and Thoreau gets credit for it a million people I'm not sure who exactly said it but I, th- I think somebody told me it was Mark Twain but I don't okay, know. I've heard yeah. I've heard Twain but anyway I I like it I believe it um and, and I think that, um, you know, being able to pare things down and distill it so that you can name it, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the risk of sounding too um, touchy-feely here. But, you know, yeah. to, to sort of name that emotion, um, I I think... Certainly with Lil's grief, you know, I I think grief is something that can just 
shadow and cloud, so many other aspects of life. And and she's someone who lost her mother as a young, as a child, as a 10-year-old. And so her whole life has been affected by that. And so I, in that same way, I feel that her whole life has been about coming to terms with this grief. And she, she has established a kind of ritual to acknowledge it so she doesn't forget it. But she also um, did not want it to prevent her from living. Well, and listeners uh, who are Tar Heels will be glad to know that uh, this is set in Southern Pines and it has a touch of the uh, Tar Heel flavor. There's one scene where where Frank talks about uh, pork and golf and ACC basketball and bacon and barbecue and ham and brackets for March Madness. So uh, <laughs> we got that. Hey, just a couple of questions before we jump over to uh, Patreon and take a deeper dive. Just a few writing life questions. You're a uh, You've been a writer for many years, uh, author of all these books. Um, uh, I'm just wondering, um, I sometimes ask this question, Jill, uh, if you were telling your younger writing self something of value that you think may help her get started based upon the things you've learned and everything you've written since then, could you boil it down to something? Um, yeah, yeah, I really could. Um, I would I would tell my my younger self that a big part of this game is uh, falling flat on your face, and um, you know that the failures are an important part of the process, and and just to go in knowing, um, you know that that you may not you may not, you know, do the flip and grab the ring on the, on the first, the first time out. Um, because I, I have, um, as I've gotten older, I've really become a messier writer and I, I think it serves the work well, you know, now that I fully understand the value of revision and I really believe that's the real art and I, I find I spend more and more time in the revision part. Um, but, you know, just to jump in and not worry if you don't know where all the pieces go. Um, I'm not saying it's not scary. It is scary. Uh, but, but I think what I've also learned is, okay, so if you do get there and you find that this big chunk of work does not fit it's not the end of the world, you know, it doesn't diminish the parts that do work. And, and I always have those, those pieces that ultimately don't belong, but, but I would argue I could not have gotten where I needed to go. They're, they're kind of the scaffolding, you know, and sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, it might take you longer to build the scaffolding than to do the work and, you know, whatever the scaffolding has allowed you to do. And, yeah. I, and that's okay. That's great advice. And it's a theme that I'm I'm hearing a lot from authors who appear on the podcast. Uh, that is that, uh, you know, look rejection in the eye and move on, learn from it. And also revision being um, a very important part of the process. Some of the better ideas I've I've gotten writing have come in the fourth, fifth, or sixth drafts of of what I've done. And uh, 
here I thought I knew what I was doing in the first draft, and I certainly didn't. So I hear that from a lot of authors who talk about the value of the revision process. All right, finally, quick question. Uh, you're, you're a teacher as well. What do you tell your students on the first day of class, and what do you tell them on the last day of class? Ah, well, on, on the first day of class, I, I like to tell them two things, that they will never be as smart as their subconscious which is a good reason to, you know, when strange things blow into your head when you're working on something, grab it, you know, don't brush it away. Um, and think about it, you know, why did it blow in? Um, and that kind of goes with the second thing I like to tell them, which is I, I really believe there's no substitute for real time, you know, and the time that you allow something to see it, you put it in the drawer um, with the idea that you're going to circle back with fresher eyes and learn something from yourself. Mm. So those two things going in um, and then and then going out, you know, I like to I just always like to think that um, by way of a workshop and by way of being willing to make mistakes and read a lot of different kinds of work that um, even if you don't go on to publish something, that you will go on to be um, have a much broader mind when it comes to reading and being critical of others, you know, because a workshop is really all about giving feedback. And, um, you know, it is one of those places where, you you like to think the the golden rule will come into play. It it doesn't always, but you know the most successful workshops are workshops where a lot of criticism is given, but given in in ways that are easier to to hear. Um, criticism can be a very positive experience when when delivered in, in the right way. So. Yeah. If everybody in the, in the working group said your work was perfect, uh, you know, you'd have a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, this, this has been great. I look forward to taking one of your, I heard you speak one time, Jill, at the North Carolina writers network. I think it was a spring conference in the 2018. Gosh, that's a long time yeah. ago when it pre pandemic and all that kind of thing. So I know, I yeah. know. Don't we miss those big yeah. gatherings? I, yeah. I, yes, that and that was a great one. Very mm. well attended. It was. And all right, so uh, listeners, we're going to jump over to Patreon. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. All one word. You can go over there. Join up, uh, listen for a very small contribution, less than a cup of coffee. You can get all the Patreon stuff we do and you can support the podcast. So uh, join us there. We're going to talk to Jill about uh, about writing. So, hey, Jill, thanks so much for being on Charlotte's podcast and uh, congrats on the book. Thank you so much, Landis. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. 
If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.